Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron brown a tech culture and f1 commentator and i'm michael costa comedian from the daily show join us for season two of choosing sides f1 our f1 102 if you will and get all of the answers all of them listen to choosing sides f1 on the iHeartRadio app apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts i'm davis miller host of the new podcast the Dow of muhammad ali i met ali in 1988 And surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Dial of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Izuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson. Coming at you once again as we've got a great show for you. Michael Bauman of The Ringer going to be joining me in the second segment. He is a Midwest guy, so we're going to be talking a little bit about the NL Central. Going to be just talking a little bit about some of the players and teams that have surprised them. It's going to be terrific. He does great work, so I'm looking forward to that. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something that I like to call touch them all but you guys fired in quite a few questions for me yesterday and i am more than happy to answer every one of them so let's get into it so you have questions and greg may or may not have any insight into them but let's dive into the twitter mailbag first one comes from a gentleman that goes by enrique gilbert i hope i said that correctly you can follow him on twitter at oi g-i-l-a that is spelled o-y-e-g-i-l-a and his question was in regards to lineups at Unit underscore 81. Appreciate all the hard work, Greg. And I say, thank you, Mr. Enrique. I would like to know how you handicap these games without knowing who will start those games. And this is in regards to their actual lineup. I asked a follow-up question just for clarification because obviously, typically when you're betting on these games, you know who the starting pitcher is going to be. But this is in regards to lineup 
For one, typically you know who's going to be starting four out of five days, but typically whenever a guy that is a little bit more notable, like maybe a Lorenzo Kane of the Milwaukee Brewers, we'll take that for an example, is not going to be in the starting lineup, typically the manager the day before will probably let someone know, and it'll get out through the grapevine. One of these things that I try to do whenever I handicap baseball is I just try to take a couple minutes and listen to the post-game pressers of all these managers because they typically have comments before they go into questions and everything like that. Typically, they'll address it right there. And then if they don't address it, and sometimes it leaks out a little bit early, you can find that on Twitter. I find that looking at local beat writers, like if you're looking at betting a Nationals versus Braves game, for example, just throwing one out there just out of complete thin air, and you're wondering if Juan Soto is going to play or not, I would just check the Twitter feeds of local beat reporters, and they'll typically be able to give you a pretty good answer. If you're seeing nothing on it, he's probably going to go. If you're seeing some smoke, you might want to adjust. And and something else I find very interesting is that sometimes you'll notice there's a lot of steam offshore, like at midnight Pacific time on some of these games. Typically, when you see steam on the other side, you want to check into it. Now, typically, it's just people betting on the game and everything like that. But if I see the Nationals just all of a sudden getting steamed up or steamed down, it makes me look, okay, is there someone missing in this game? Is there someone that's going to be getting the day off or something like that? I just do a double check because sometimes it is a late announcement that a guy's not going to be playing the next day. Those are the keys I look at when trying to predict lineups for the next day. Very good question there. Next up, this one comes in from Joseph Austin Mann. You can follow him on Twitter. At Jam A Man, and that is spelled with two N's at the end of man, 1995. And he said, at underscore 81 you kind of brought it up on the podcast today with the Nationals, but would you say that betting too heavily on the starting pitcher is bad? It seems like that would be the first thing the market goes off of, so these starters are priced in, but other factors aren't as much, and I would say you're 110% correct. There is a reason why I have been fading the Washington Nationals so much this year. The Washington Nationals have terrific starting pitching. I'm going to bash Steven Strasburg in my edition of Touch Em All, but he, all in all, a very good starting pitcher. Patrick Corbin, terrific starting pitcher. Even Jeremy Hellickson, he doesn't necessarily go deep, but he's not a terrible starting pitcher, and we all know about Max Scherzer, and we all know about Max Scherzer. But... What they also have is the worst bullpen out there in the big leagues. They've got a good offense, but not a great offense. Anthony Rendon getting the job done for sure. He's hitting 400. He's hit for a bunch of power. Ryan Zimmerman, not so much. Guys like Defoe at the bottom of the lineup, not really generating a lot for this team. So when you've got an average offense and a bullpen that is dead last, you need to rely on these starters going seven to eight innings for your ticket to cash. And even if the bullpen only has to come in for an inning or two, they can still gas can the game. So that's why I try to take a look at all factors, not just the starting pitcher. I noticed that when you're able to fade some of these starting pitchers and you're able to get these massive plus prices, it can lead to you having a lot of success. So I thought that that was another great question. Thank you for that. And this is one that I'm throwing out here right now. I don't necessarily have a great answer, but I want to address it right now so that way we can do a little bit of research. We can make it sort of our MLB Overtime Betting Group Project. At KShea001, someone who's tweeted in some fantastic questions so far this year, goes by KShea. At GNRSquarty1, I have started doing research into West Coast teams playing 
early on East Coast and vice versa for who wins. Have you done any research on how it affects the over-unders and everything like that? And this is one that I've always been curious on as well. I typically like to go a little bit more on the underside whenever I notice this, just because I notice that in early games in general. I do think that we need a little bit more of a definition of, and I quote early, is this like the Saturday games where the games start at 12.05 a.m. Pacific time? Is this any time before the game starts at 7 p.m. Eastern or anything like that? But I notice this in college basketball, and I notice this in the MLB, and I even feel like this has a little bit of an effect in the NFL too that I don't think that it's as prevalent in regards to over under in the NFL I think that it results more on the side but whenever you have a West Coast team going to the East Coast typically I notice that the games are a little bit lower scoring and I just noticed that in early games in general we saw it in the Boston Red Sox versus the Baltimore Orioles game the game went under when it was played very early I noticed this on Saturday and Sunday it just felt like the weekend days so far this year has had more unders towards the early part of the day and then towards the later part of the day you see more overs. I think that it is very interesting and it's something I want to take a look into myself. So I did think that that was a tremendous question. Thank you so much for that one. And one more question we had come in. This is from a gentleman that goes by Tony B. You can follow him at, on Twitter at Tony, the letter B 441 at GNNR81. How do you combat the in-game betting problem of lag for a lot of internet streams? Maybe cable? Question mark. I'm not sure what to do. This is one where I would say your best friend would be something like a Don Best or a live line ticker because these line updaters, these Don Best screens, everything like that, they are getting the information as quickly as the books are. So that is your best friend right there. And obviously, you're not going to be able to beat all lag whatsoever unless if you're live there at a game because all this is being input into a machine and everything like that. So no matter what, you're going to be at the very best two, three, four seconds behind. It's just something that is completely unavoidable in these situations. But I find that if you're on one of those sites that they're live tracking, betting odds and everything like that, that's probably your best friend. I personally do not do a whole lot of in-game betting, if not any at all. So I've never really ran into this issue. But I would think that this would be your best friend if you are looking to in-game bet. Because I even noticed that at the Vegas Sats and Information Network, we used to have TVs up and everything like that. And these Don Best tickers and everything like that, they would always be the first ones to update whenever a team would score a basket in college basketball and everything like that. So hopefully that is some sage advice there. And hopefully we can find some bettable trends from yesterday's action. So what teams and players is Greg looking to back? He will lay it on you in the call-up. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we've got to be continuing to fade the Boston Red Sox at this point. They lose to the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 8-1. to one. Dan Cerelli entered in with a 19-29 ERA. That was the year of the Great Depression. Now it's down to a 10-24, which is the size of of how many megabytes you need for a gigabyte. So he is now gigabyte Dan Straley instead of Great Depression Dan Straley as the Baltimore Orioles win this game eight to one. If you were betting on the bolt if you were betting on the Boston Red Sox with Hector Velasquez as a two sixty favorite as a starting pitcher, I don't know what to tell you. As the boss as the Boston Red Sox give up a home run to Chris Crush Davis. His first home run in an eon. And then another big game came up from Dwight Smith Jr. He had four RBI in this one. 
The Baltimore Orioles actually have a pretty good offense, and it seems as though their relief pitching has actually gotten a little bit better too. So perhaps there's some value here with the Baltimore Orioles. Meanwhile, with the Boston Red Sox, oh boy, it's just not going well. The overs in Mets games continue to cash. 7-6, the final. The Mets knock off the Philadelphia Phillies in this game. It was Brandon Nimmo being able to go yard, his third home run of the year. The real savior for the New York Mets was in the 11th inning as Juan Lagares scores on an error made by Reese Hoskins. Go figure, as this was just one of the be- most badly botched plays that you're going to find as yeah, on that play, there was not one but two errors made. It was Cesar Hernandez with the throw and then Reese Hoskins as well. Oh boy, that was not that was not good to say the least as in this one, the Philadelphia Phillies actually got some very good relief pitching. Aaron Nola's a guy that you got to look to fade right now. He's not his old self. He goes four innings, gives up five runs, three walks. He did have six strikeouts, but man, other than that little fumble right there, the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen was actually good. Pat Neshek takes a loss, but he's a little bit of a tough luck loser in this one. You had guys like Alvarez and company that did a good job. Mikel Franco hit his fifth home run of the year. Philadelphia Phillies bats. Still getting the job done as Andrew McCutcheon was able to come around with two hits. Gene Segura at the top of the lineup had two hits. Bryce Harper went one of six. He seems to be in a little bit of a slump, but you got guys like Franco and company coming through. And then for the New York Mets, they wound up doing a great job of being able to draw walks. Brandon Nimmo had three himself, including that home run. Pete Alonso was hitting 339. The Mets in general are just playing a lot of overs. You got to look at them. And then how about the Mets bullpen coming up clutches? Noah Syndergaard also had a bad outing. He winds up giving up five earned in five innings. He's got a 563 RA, but Seth Lugo got a hold. Jesus Familia gave up a run. We all saw that coming, but... Hey, Robbie Gazelman even gave this team 1.1 scoreless innings and even Luis Avivan. It's like a Christmas miracle right there. And another Christmas miracle, the Cubs got a win with Hugh Darvish on the mound. The Cubs were able to win this game by a count of 7-2 as you can tell the strike zone just was not there for Trevor Richards. He was getting the deficit of the calls in this one, but he did not pitch very well. He gave up four walks, five earned runs, and 4.2 innings. Wei Yun Chen lowered his ERA to 18 for the Miami Marlins. That's a good sign, and they were able to get a home run in this one from the catcher, who's actually been hitting quite well for this team. And Chad Wallace, that was his first dinger of the year, and he is actually hitting 333. That's a good sign for the Miami Marlins. But for the Chicago Cubs, you Darvish finally looked good in a start. 5.2 innings. He gives up two earned runs. He did have four walks, but the eight strikeouts were nice. He's still on my fade list, but how about the Cubs bullpen also being able to deliver 3.1 innings of shutout baseball as well. Wilson Contreras went yard. His sixth home run of the year, he had three RBI, and David Bodie was able to do a great job as well. He had three RBI in this one as well. The St. Louis Cardinals, they were able to hang seven runs, but the Brewers just much better on offense. They put up a 10 spot. They win this game by a count of 10 to 7. In this game, the St. Louis Cardinals got a horrible start from Dakota Hudson. I have not been bullish on him whatsoever. He does a terrible job of locating. He had three walks and 3.2 innings, gave up six runs, but it wasn't even him that wound up taking the loss as giving up three runs in this game was Mike Mayers. Not to be confused with Mike Myers from whatever horror movie. I am completely forgetting on it right now. It's not the Freddy one. I 
yeah, the Axe Man, I, I don't know. You guys are probably laughing at me right now. I'm a sports handicapper. I don't have time for movies. But what I do know is that Paul Goldschmidt hit a home run in this one. His seventh of the year. Marcelo Zuna went deep for his sixth dinger. That was in the ninth inning. And then Paul DeYoung went deep for his fourth. And that home run that Ozuna hit was actually off of Josh Hader, who gave up his first earned run of the year. But the bullpen of the Milwaukee Brewers actually had... Some pretty good outings in this one as Freddie Peralta just was not able to go deep. He winds up giving up three runs in 3.1 innings, and that put a whole lot of stress on a whole lot of guys to be able to hold down the fort as Junior Guerra was actually the guy that came in and got the win. He had 1.2 innings of scoreless baseball, but you have to be a little bit concerned that Alex Claudio did not look very good in this game. He gave up three runs and one-tenth of an inning. Needless to say, that's not going to get the job done, but what is? Mike Boustakis. He seems to be back, and in full force, he has two hits in this one, a double and a dinger, his sixth of the year. Christian Yelich, not one, not two, but three home runs, as he now has eight for the season. This guy is raking seven RBI in this contest. He's got to be a front runner for MVP once again, along with Cody Bellinger. He comes up clutch for the Brewers. They get the win. How about the Toronto Blue Jays coming up clutch? They put up a five spot on the Minnesota Twins. They win this game by a count of five to three. Four of those runs in the eighth inning as the real hero in this one for the Toronto Blue Jays. How about Teoscar Hernandez hitting a three-run home run in the eighth inning. That is his first of the year, and that is exactly what the Toronto Blue Jays needed to get going. This is a squad that had been struggling at the plate. They wind up getting 11 hits in this one. Matt Shoemaker actually got a little bit roughed up. He wound up giving up three runs in this one as the Twins were able to get a home run out of C.J. Crone. That was his second home run of the year, but he was really the only guy that was hitting for the team as as he and Jorge Polanco had four of the team's five hits. The other one came from Jake Cave, which that's a good sign for them. And the Minnesota offensive general seems to be coming around. Martin Perez, still a guy I really can't bet on. He only gives up one run in this one, but it just felt like he was getting out of a little bit of trouble as he had a couple walks himself. And then the Minnesota Twins bullpen that had been quite good this year got let down by Edelberto Mejia as he now has a 9.39 ERA, giving up four runs in two innings in this one. How he was left in after giving up that three-run dinger, no one will know. But a big win for the Toronto Blue Jays, who have been catching some good plus prices recently. Shelby Miller is a pitcher that I've been looking to fade all year long. Those Texas Rangers were able to get a 12-7 win over the LA Angels. I will continue to look to fade him because in 4.1 innings, this win wasn't necessarily credited to him because he gave up four runs, gave up three walks, including a dinger, and it was the Angels out to a 4 to nothing lead, and then they completely blew it. And the Texas Rangers, they got these 12 runs while hitting 4 for 19 with men in scoring position. That tells you just how bad the pitching was. Since Xu Chu goes deep for his first home run of the year, as Drupal Cabrera hits his fifth dinger of the year, Joey Gallo has his fifth home run of the year. It was just not a good showing from the LA Angels. Trevor Cahill gives up four earned runs in four innings. Cam Bedrosian gives up three earned runs. He gave up another one that was unearned in two-thirds of an ending. Jake Jewell also gave up three earned runs. And then Curtis tops it off by giving up another earned run as the LA Angels entered this night with the best bullpen ERA in the bigs. They did not live up to it. But how about a bullpen that actually has been doing a decent job recently as the White Sox 
are able to get a 5-4 win over the Kansas City Royals. Irvin Santana, as expected, gave up some runs. In five innings, gives up three earned runs, has three walks. But then from there, the White Sox give up one earned run in four innings from the bullpen, and Colome actually gets a save for them. The White Sox bullpen might be actually turning the corner, and Wellington Castillo... The hero in this one, as in the eighth inning, he gets a home run off our good friend Brad Boxberger. How this guy is in the majors right now just stuns me. You can't be betting on the Royals right now because their bullpen is just a complete flaming pile of garbage. The Kansas City Royals actually got a good start out of Heath Fillmeyer. He goes five innings, he gives up three runs. He's not necessarily the Mona Lisa Vito of pitching, but that wasn't terrible. Heck, Scott Barlow actually gave them two shutout innings out of the bullpen. And then Brad Boxberger just pours lighter fluid on the game and lights a match. It happens every single time. You can't be betting on this Kansas City Royals bullpen. But if there is any good news, if you're betting on the Royals today, you can certainly bet that Brad Boxberger not going to be coming into the game. And if you're looking for some more encouraging signs, Chad Owings hit his first home run of the year and Hunter Dozier is fourth of the campaign for the Kansas City Royals. If you were betting on the Cincinnati Reds yesterday, that was a brutal beat as Jock Peterson hits a walk-off homer and the Dodgers win this game by a count of 4-3. to three. What's interesting is this was Clayton Kershaw's first outing of the year. He looked pretty good. Seven innings, 84 pitches, gives up two earned runs. This was much better than I expected him to look. For the Cincinnati Reds, it was Yasiel Puig being able to hit a home run. His second of the year and his second in as many games, so perhaps he's starting to get things turned around, and then it wasn't until the ninth that the Reds would score again. Matt Kemp reaches on an infield single, but Jock Peterson was able to will this team to victory, and the Dodgers, who had lost six straight games going into Sunday, now back on a two-game winning streak as Pedro Baez was able to pitch a shutout inning, and Kenley Jansen, who has an ERA of 245, just not the guy that he once was. He wound up giving up that earned run to Matt Kemp. Colorado Rockies were able to get their second straight win as they knock off the San Diego Padres by a count of 5-2. Antonio Sensatella actually looked really good in the start. 6.2 innings, gives up one run. Perhaps he's a little bit of an undervalued pitcher. I was very pleasantly surprised in them from there. Scott Oberg winds up giving up one run for the bullpen, but all in all, the Colorado Rockies bullpen has looked decent. And if you want more good signs for the Rockies, Nolan Arenado with a home run in back-to-back days. Perhaps his Rockies lineup is starting to turn things around. And Ian Desmond has his average up to a buck 64 after he goes for two hits, including a home run with three RBI. That is absolutely huge for them. Trevor Story and Mark Reynolds also have hits. That was big. And for the San Diego Padres, Will Myers and Famio Reyes both had their fourth home runs of the year, but they were just bases empty home runs as that was really the reason why they were unable to pull this one out as they just still are not getting Ian Kinsler going. He's hitting a buck 60. Arias at the second base spot hitting a buck 05 and it's just really a feast or famine lineup at this point with the San Diego Padres. And one other final to enlighten you on, Cleveland Indians wind up knocking off the Seattle Mariners by a count of 6-4. A big game for the Cleveland Indians after they got swept by the Kansas City Royals. Brad Hand was able to close the door after the Cleveland Indians bullpen did not necessarily look great in this one. Trevor Bauer goes 6.2 innings, gives up just one run. But then from there, Oliver Perez gives up two runs, and they also had a earned run from Adam Clymer as well. So not necessarily great there, but all in all, the Indians bullpen has been pretty good. And for the Seattle Mariners, you see Kikuchi had a little bit of a rough go of it to start off the game. He winds up giving up three earned runs, and all of those came in the first three innings as Jose Ramirez 
went deep for his first home run of the year. Ding dong, the witch is dead. He finally gets a home run for this team. It has been a very long year for him as he's currently hitting a buck fifty. but perhaps Carlos Gonzalez getting back into the lineup is going to help out this team. He's only 2 of 10 in the two games that he's been in the lineup, but you can tell that it's giving guys like Carlos Santana and Hanley Ramirez more pitches to hit, and Jason Kipnis also made his season debut. So perhaps that's exactly what this Cleveland Indians lineup needed as the Seattle Mariners once again got a home run, their 19th straight game with a home run, the longest streak to begin a year in MLB history. Edwin Encarnacion goes deep for his fifth home run of the year, and Omar Navarez also hit a dinger, his third of the year. That was in the eighth inning off of Oliver Perez. So some very interesting results and some great Twitter questions answered. So thank you guys for that. And now coming up next, we got to welcome in Michael Bauman of The Ringer to join us and talk a little NL Central, talk about surprise players and teams, and just have a little bit of fun. And that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting, broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. Great pleasure to be joined by our next guest. He does terrific work out there for the ringer. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael Bauman. And Bauman is spelt with two N's at the end of it, as it is Michael Bauman who is joining me on this fine day. And how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, pointing out the two ends thing. Most people don't get that. I know that a lot of people do not. And I believe that you are actually a Midwest guy because I know that I'm a gentleman that I hail from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. If I remember correctly, you're living out there in the Midwest as well. Yep. Enjoy it quite a lot. It's beautiful weather, cheap cost of living, anything you could possibly want. Oh, exactly. And what we're noticing is a couple teams out there in the Midwest playing some very good baseball, including the Milwaukee Brewers. They take two of three over the weekend. From the L.A. Dodgers, things seem to be very good for this team. And this is without all the pieces necessarily getting going. Mike Moustaka is starting to hit some home runs for the team, but Jesus Aguiar hasn't necessarily been great with the bat. Orlando Arcia is starting to come around as well. He hasn't necessarily been great. And we know that the bullpen with Jeremy Jeffries and Corey Knable has been quite banged up. What have you made out of the Brewers so far this year? Because this team certainly looks like a force out there in the NL Central. Yeah, and this is a team that I was really high on coming into the season. I was really impressed by what they did last year. I thought when they went out and got Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich last season, I thought those guys, I don't know if I necessarily predicted they'd be like two of the top five position players in the National League, but uh, I thought the two of them were going to score a ton of runs. I really liked uh, the bringing back or bringing in Yasmani Grandal. Catcher was one of maybe two or three weak positions that that they had uh, last season. They went out and picked up or essentially nothing. One of the two or three best catchers in baseball. He's been hitting pretty well uh, in the early going this season, and he's one of you know, it's him and JT Realmuto and really only a couple other guys who can provide any sort of offensive value behind the plate. Bullpen is a problem, but which is weird to say considering how good it was last year. But Josh Hader's been good uh, so far this season. And what we've seen is a lot of the guys that they relied on, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, were two of the, the people who really made that work last uh, postseason. They're pitching out of the rotation. The two of them are two pitchers I like quite a bit going forward this season. Burns in particular, I think he could be pretty special. I think that it is really interesting to see how this NL Central is going to play out, and I'm right there with you. I do like the way that the Brewers really came together last year, especially with their outfield. And what do you think about another team that made some moves out there in the offseason from that same division, the St. Louis Cardinals? 
Paul Goldschmidt has been doing a great job of being able to give this team power, but he's off to another slow start, much like he was last year with regards to the average. You got guys like Yadier Molina, Dexter Fowler. They're just not picking things up. Colton Wong has gotten a little bit cold. I think that this is an intriguing team as well because they've got a lot of young arms and the guys out there in their starting rotation just seem to be not getting the job done. I'd give them a little bit of time because like you said, they do have a lot of talented pitchers. And yeah, I think this, I picked them to finish second in the division and take home the first National League wildcard because I did like a lot of the stuff they did this offseason, Goldschmidt in particular. I'm not worried about him. I think he is getting a little older, but it seems like Every year for the past seven years, uh, somebody writes the why is Paul Goldschmidt hitting 190 in April? And, every, and by the end of the season, he's got 40 home runs every year. Uh, so I'm not that worried about Goldschmidt. I'm not worried about the, the pitchers. I do. I like a lot of the depth. They've just got so many good players. And it's on Mike Schilt, to, their manager, to try to figure out what their best lineup is day in, day out. Because players like Matt Carpenter, Jose Martinez, Tyler O'Neill, they're trying to find where the best spot in the batting order and the, the defensive position is. And I think that if you do that smartly, you look at what the Cubs did in 2016 or the Astros did in 2017, where they substituted a ton, or even the Dodgers last year, substituting a ton game to game and within a game to make sure that the best team and the best lineup for any given situation is out on the field. The managers who did that, Dave Roberts, Joe Madden, A.J. Hinch, we think of as some of the best in baseball. If Schilt is that capable as an in-game tactician, I think the Cardinals could, I, you know, they're definitely the most threatening challenger to in the NL Central. I do agree with you there as Michael Bauman joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And how about another team out there in the NL Central? Because you just said that the Cardinals are probably the Brewers' biggest challenger out there. The Chicago Cubs, I find very interesting. Their bullpen this year, it's been getting better but it just has not been good. We noticed that Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber are both hitting below 200 going into Monday's action. I just don't know what to make out of this team right now because they've got a lot of guys that are hitting decent. Daniel Descalso has stepped up. He's hitting above 300. We all know what Javi Baez and company can do, but it just feels like with that bullpen, it's really hard to rely upon this team. Well, I think the fact that you mentioned Daniel Descalso as the big offensive cog, like you said, is that's that's instructive. I'm not two weeks into the season, I'm not worried about this lineup. It's loaded top to bottom. You know, I think Rizzo will figure things out. But the pitching staff is is worrisome because there are a lot of pitchers in there who have performed very well very recently. And it's just it just hasn't fallen into place. And whether this is this is rust, this is, you know, sorting yourself out early in the season, or if it's that, then I think the Cubs can still write themselves, but they're already in a pretty big hole. Uh just looking at, at Fangraph's playoff odds, they are twenty six percent to to win the division. I think baseball prospectus has them as just eleven percent to make the playoffs, which they were lower on the Cubs coming into the season, so maybe take that projection with a grain of salt. But I think that illustrates the peril of not only they have to sort themselves out, but they've dug themselves a hole. They're uh, four games back on the Brewers right now, and they're behind the, the Cardinals, the Pirates. Even the Reds are not a tough out. So they've really put themselves behind the eight ball early this season. I was a little bit pessimistic on the Cubs coming into the season. I think they might have done as much as any team in the first two weeks of the season to, to damage their playoff aspirations. Speaking of teams that damage their playoff aspirations early, how about the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees out there in the American League East? It's not going well for either of these teams. As we're doing this broadcast right now, I'm watching the Boston versus Baltimore games, and they just got no hit through the first four innings by something called Dan Straley. 
Not necessarily a redeeming quality there for the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, with the New York Yankees, this team is just so banged up. You've got Didi Gregorius injured for a very long time. Dylan Batances, John Carlos Stanton, Troy Tulowitzki, Gary Sanchez. It's one of those things where it's like, need I say more? What have you made out of these two teams? Because right now the AL East is just so wild with the Tampa Bay Rays leading the charge and getting some very good bullpen pitching. Yeah, I, my colleague Zach Cram picked the, the Rays to win the American League East. I mean, the Rays are starting to stretch that lead into a position where maybe they can hold it. Like, it's almost like a cycling race. If somebody gets far enough ahead earlier in the race, the pack can't chase him down. And it's early, but I'm starting to consider that as a possibility that the Rays could stay out in front. I think the Red Sox are a better team than the Yankees, but I find their struggles more puzzling. With the Yankees, it's just as soon as they're healthy, you know they're going to be good again. And it's just, it's a, a more concrete obstacle than anything the Red Sox might be facing, but maybe it's a, a more substantial obstacle, but at least you know what the problem is. And with the Red Sox, they've got inconsistencies up and down the line throughout the rotation. Chris Sale hasn't looked like himself. Rick Porcello got beat up over the weekend again. I still have confidence in the Red Sox to come back and win that division. But last week I wasn't worried. Now we're getting in that position, like I said, with the Cubs, where maybe they just the amount they're falling behind in the standings is, I don't know if it, it's a huge problem, but it, it's something to keep an eye on. It certainly is. As Michael Bauman joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And another team that I feel like has underwhelmed a little bit so far this year, the Cleveland Indians are coming off getting swept by the Kansas City Royals and Homer Bailey, whose teams were 1-12. and 21 in his last 22 starts, managed to go seven strong innings and help deliver the Kansas City Royals a shutout in that game. It just feels like you don't know what you're going to get out of the Indians from day to day. In two games last week, they had eight runs, and then they get shut out by Homer Bailey and company. What do you make out of this team right now? Because I thought that they would be the most commanding division winner out there in baseball, and so far, they just haven't gotten things going, obviously not having Lindor and Kipnitz has hurt them quite a bit. Yeah, Lindor in particular. I mean, this is something that we've devoted a lot of real estate to on the ringer and something we talked about a lot internally is the American League Central is so bad apart from Cleveland. They went into this offseason sort of trimming payroll, trying to put the cheapest division winner out there possible as opposed to really maximizing their talent on the Major League roster. And so what they've come up with is... Four exceptional starting pitchers, a couple really good relief pitchers, Brad Hand, Adam Simber. But even then, like the depth is not what it was a couple years ago. And two of, I don't know, maybe the top 10 position players in the American League in Lindor and and Jose Ramirez. And apart from that, like Hanley Ramirez is getting significant playing time. This is not a major league quality outfield they're putting out there. And they're suffering the consequences of it. And with uh, Lindor on the shelf, with Mike Clevenger now out long term, who's a guy who's not only a good pitcher, but pitches a ton of innings, which is incredibly rare in this day and age. They've got huge holes now. Their room for error really was built into the rest of the division just being that bad. And now, you know, maybe if the Twins are a little bit better than we expected, if they get Alice Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell are still out there, if they make a move for one of those guys, if they make a trade, they've got some maybe underperforming big leaguers who who have a lot of upside. I think Cleveland's in real danger now. They were very cavalier this offseason, and it's a team I like watching a lot and with a bunch of personalities and players who aesthetically I really like and I've enjoyed watching them in the playoffs the past couple of years. But it would be kind of poetic if they – it was a very arrogant way that their front office approached this offseason, and it's – you don't want to see teams rewarded for, for cheaping out like that. 
Exactly. We've got Michael Bauman of The Ringer joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And I think that it is so interesting that you point that out. And the Twins have actually looked pretty good so far this year. I like Jose Berea as a starting pitcher. I've been pleasantly surprised by Michael Pineda. And I do think that the bullpen of the Twins is also a good asset as well. They're one of the best out there in baseball. And I think that we're noticing this time and time again. These teams with these good bullpens are ascending towards the top of the standings. Even though the Indians have gotten zero offense whatsoever, they are above 500 because their bullpen has been good this year. And you're noticing that these teams like the Nationals are starting to underachieve because their bullpen just can't hold the lead. Yeah, and that's sort of unpredictable early in the season. Nationals' uh, relief pitching situation sort of is what is right now. Uh, you know, time, time will tell. There's there's only one way to find out if that's going to happen. I do love Barrios. One thing that's interesting, and I sort of alluded to this a minute ago when we were talking about Cleveland, is that Minnesota has so many players who have shown flashes, whether it's Buxton, whether it's No, whether it's Eddie Rosario, Jonathan Scope. Max Kepler, Barrios, Pineda, Kyle Gibson, who have shown flashes of being really very good big leaguers and have just been inconsistent for one reason or another. And I think that makes them sort of an interesting low floor, high ceiling play, particularly now that Cleveland's banged up, that division looks eminently winnable. Always root in favor of pennant races. If nothing else, I want to see Minnesota give Cleveland a run for their money. It certainly would be nice and it would be unexpected as compared to what we saw going into the year. And out of everything that we've seen, those years about two and a half, three weeks old, something like that. What's been perhaps the most pleasant surprise that you've seen? Because I think that we can both agree that the Seattle Mariners coming from out of nowhere and starting the year 12 and five has been a very good story. We've seen a couple guys like Cody Bellinger just absolutely ball out. It's been spectacular. What has really stood out to you? Oh, boy. Uh, the Mariners have been fun in that sort of inexplicable early season way. I think the emergence of a couple really fun teams to watch. The Phillies having added Bryce Harper and, you know, just the way their lineup is completely stacked now. The Mets, to a lesser extent, I think fit that bill. If I was going to talk about one player who has really stood out to me, it would be Pete Alonso, their first baseman, who I've followed since he was a sophomore in Florida. He is a very large, strong man. And I wrote uh, last week about the effects of, of putting somebody with that kind of strength and that kind of back control, too, for somebody of that much power from the right-hand side is very, very unusual. And we've seen him hit the absolute bejesus out of the ball. He's been a lot of fun to watch. Barrios, more than any other starting pitcher, a guy who has been on the radar for a very long time. And just in terms of throwing strikes and being durable, the question marks are not about the stuff. The stuff is absolutely ace level. And if he puts it all together this season, there is, you know, I don't want to come off as maybe too optimistic, but if he puts it all together, there is Cy Young upside. Herman Marquez, he's another young up-and-coming pitcher who's maybe off the radar a little more than Barrios was, but he was probably either the best or second best pitcher in the in the Rockies rotation. He might remain a little bit off the radar if the Rockies don't start winning more games, but he's another pitcher I really enjoy watching. I'm right there with you. Marquez in that game on Sunday was just lights out. I believe it was a one-hit shutout against... Now, a San Francisco Giants team that, let's face it, they're light-hitting, to say the least, but regardless... It still counts. Exactly. That is all that matters. It's a one-hit shutout against a major league team. That's all you need to know, in my opinion. And, Michael, I'd like to close it up with this. I know you're doing tremendous work out there with the ringer. I know that you've got a show of your own. Let the good people at home know where they can find that and where they can find your work. Yeah, all of my work, whether it's baseball, whether it's other sports, uh, do some... 
TV, pop culture, politics, other stuff at theringer.com. You can search for my stuff, but I recommend reading everything there because we've got a really incredible stable of writers and podcasters. The Ringer MLB show comes out every Tuesday. Talk to Zach Cram and Ben Lindbergh and a couple other people from around the world of baseball once a week. And you can follow me on Twitter at Michael Bauman at, with, uh, with two N's. With two ends, yes, sir. Always have to point that out because it's one of those things where you got to get the spelling correctly. You don't want to be going to some random guy that's tweeting about like UFOs or something like that. No, there's like a school board administrator in Iowa or something that. (laughs) Yeah, that would not be good. So a big thanks to Michael Bauman for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And now that we're a little bit more enlightened, it is that time to give you a side and total on every game on the betting board as we touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And we are back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our guest, Michael Bauman of The Ringer, for joining me in the last segment. And now it is that time that I give you a side in total on every game on today's betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that some of these plays are going to be locked in, some of these games are not. All those plays are not locked in. I'm going to be keeping you abreast of the situation on that on my Twitter page at unit underscore D1, as well as any changes that may be made to these plays. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and we start with 951-952. It is the New York Mets. And they go to Philadelphia to face off against the Phillies. Steven Matz on the bump for the for the Mets. Meanwhile, Nick Pavetta goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Total on this game is 9 and it is shaded under. The under is between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the Mets, you're going to be getting a little bit of a plus price. It's anywhere between plus 103 and plus 105. Meanwhile, the Phillies anywhere between minus 113 and minus 115. I know that Nick Pavetta got absolutely shelled in his last outing. And both these teams are hitting quite well. I don't necessarily have a ton of confidence in Steven Matz either. So this is a spot where I'm certainly going to look at the over. With the Mets so far this year, Robinson Cano has been slumping, but... You just know it. It's all these guys being able to do a great job of being able to get on base. Michael Conforto, Wilson Ramos, Jeff McNeil, all hitting above 300. Pete Alonso hitting close to 350. He's been providing some power. Then for the Phillies, you've got a lot of bats that are going as well. Andrew McCutcheon in his last couple games has been doing a nice job. Gene Segura, great at being able to get on base, and he had a stolen base yesterday. Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, all able to provide power. Odubo Herrera and Mikel Franco have been doing a great job at the bottom of the lineup as well. All that leads to an over, especially with the Mets not necessarily having a great bullpen. And I do think that that's going to be the equalizer because 
We've seen the good Nick Pavetta this year, and we've also seen the bad Nick Pavetta this year. And we've seen the good Steven Matz throughout his career, and we've seen the bad Steven Matz throughout his career. Matz actually enters this game with a 165 ERA, but I've noticed that a lot of the Phillies players have had good results over their career against him. So I do think that the Phillies are going to be able to get to him. I think they're going to be able to dig into a Mets bullpen that Sands Edwin Diaz just does not have a lot of redeeming qualities. So for that reason, on this total over, and I am going to be on the Philadelphia Phillies. Both these plays have yet to be locked in, by the way. Trying to see if I'm going to be able to get the Phillies at more of a minus 110 price and trying to see if I can get a little bit of better juice on the over as well. 953, 954 on the betting rotation. It is the San Francisco Giants in Washington to face off against the Nationals. Steven Strasburg goes for the Nationals. Meanwhile, he will be opposed by Derek Rodriguez of the Giants. Total in this game is 8, and it shaded a little bit under. If you like the under, it is between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is between minus 105 and minus 110. The Giants are a pretty hefty underdog. You're able to get between plus 175 and plus 170 with them. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Nationals, anywhere between minus 190 and minus 193. Steven Strasburg, I feel like, is a little bit of an overrated pitcher for one. And two, the worst bullpen currently in the big leagues in regards to ERA, the Washington Nationals. Now, I know the San Francisco Giants have not been ripping the cover off the ball, to say the least. But what I will say for Kevin Pillar is that he has three home runs in the team's last five games. He's been doing a good job of being able to provide some power. Brandon Belt has been able to hit a couple home runs as well. In regards to average, oh goodness gracious, is it, it is not going good for the Giants. In their last game, they were the victims of a one-hit shutout by Herman Marquez. But I do think that Marquez is much better than Steven Strasburg. Call me crazy, but I don't think that Strasburg is a very good pitcher. You've got just a bunch of guys that are not hitting for the Giants. So Evan Longoria, Pilar, Gerardo Parra, Joe Panic. Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, all hitting below 220 right now. That leads me to the under because I think that Derek Rodriguez is actually a pretty good pitcher. He's not a guy that necessarily has wipeout stuff. He enters the day with a 4.15 ERA, but his whip is below one. He's not going to make a bunch of stupid mistakes. He's not going to walk a bunch of guys. And with the Washington Nationals, you got a couple guys that are doing a great job at the plate. Anthony Rendon has six home runs, 17 RBI. He's hitting 400. He's been terrific. Juan Soto... Has a lot of power, but at the same time, he's not necessarily a guy that's hitting for great average. He's hitting 250. Ryan Zimmerman, 205. Jan Gomes, right around 240. Defoe at the bottom of the lineup is hitting below 200. So there are some sleepy bats out there. I will say that Howie Kendrick doing a terrific job of being able to get on base. His OBP going into this game is 600. So he does a good job of being able to reach base. But I think that the Giants, along with their good bullpen, going to be able to get the job done. And I think that they're going to do just enough to get into that Nationals bullpen to be able to pull this one out. So for that reason, I am on the Giants and I am on the under in this spot. In wait and see mode in regards to the juice on the under, I have a feeling this is going to tick downward. And I'm trying to see if I can get the Giants more around 180 or 185. I'm going to take a shot on the underdog here. So in wait and see mode on these plays, but I'm going to be on both of them. We go to Miami for 9.55, 9.56 on the betting rotation. It is the Chicago Cubs on the road against the Miami Marlins. Pablo Lopez goes for the Miami Marlins. Jose Quintana. For the Chicago Cubs, that was a fun one to say as the Cubs. Anywhere between a minus 140 and minus 145 favorite. 
You want to take a shot on the Marlins. You're getting anywhere between plus 130 and plus 135. Total in this game is 8, and it is shaded over. Over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. We've been noticing that the Chicago Cubs bad so far this year have been pretty darn good. And we've also noticed that their bullpen pitching has been pretty darn bad. But with that said, Kitana looked really good in his last start in which he was able to go scoreless in a start against the Pittsburgh Pirates. That was very good to see as he was able to give up no runs with 11 strikeouts in that order. And he's just a guy that sometimes he is great and sometimes he is awful. I think we could see somewhere in the middle, but I just have no faith in Pablo Lopez whatsoever. He is 1-2 so far this year with a 6-6-0 ERA. He does a decent job of being able to get strikeouts. He's got 17 Ks and 15 innings. He's actually been limiting the base on balls too. He has two walks so far this year, but opponents are hitting 306 off of him. We noticed that was a little bit of a bugaboo for him last year. His opponents hit 252 off of him, and he had 18 walks in 59 innings last year. I have a feeling that the walks are going to tick up a little bit. And for the Chicago Cubs, even though Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber have been off to a little bit of a rough start so far this year, they've been doing a good job of being able to draw their walks for one. And then you've got Wilson Contreras, Jason Hayward, and Daniel Descalso being able to pick things up. David Bodie was able to hit a nice double yesterday to be able to drive in a couple runs for the Cubs as well. So they've got some bats that are really doing some nice things for this team. And with the Miami Marlins, you got a couple guys I think that could make an impact with regards to their bats. Starlin Castro at the middle of the lineup has been doing a good job of being able to get on base. I do think that they're going to be able to get something out of Austin Dean if he continues to see some consistent playing time as well. He's been picking it up along with Miguel Rojas at the shortstop spot, but you don't have a lot of true power with this team aside from maybe Neil Walker. So I do think that the Cubs have a big leg up here, and I'm going to take a look at a run line price with the Chicago Cubs. Currently seeing plus 115 in wait and see mode there, but certainly going to be on this game over as well with Kitana likely giving up a couple runs and the shelling of Mr. Lopez likely in store as well. Already locked in the over in wait and see mode on that run line. As we move on to 957-958 on the bag rotation, the Arizona Diamondbacks head to Atlanta to face off against the Braves. Max Freed goes for the Atlanta Braves. Robbie Ray for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The total on this game is 8, and it is minus 110 across the board on both the over and the under. If you like the Atlanta Braves, you're laying anywhere between minus 140 and minus 148. Want to take a shot on the Diamondbacks? That is anywhere between plus 130 and plus 138. And I do like the Arizona Diamondbacks in this spot. I am not necessarily bullish on Robbie Ray. Ever since the middle of last year, he just has been giving up way too many runs. But I also do like the Arizona Diamondbacks in general with their hitting. David Peralta has been doing a great job of being able to hit for average so far this year. 373. He's got a couple dingers. Ketel Marte has four home run, 13 RBI of his own. Adam Jones has been doing a great job of being able to generate some power in the above 300 himself. And then with the Atlanta Braves, you got a lot of bats that are doing some great things as well. Dansby Swanson going into this game as 18 RBI. He's been ripping the cover off the ball. Freddie Freeman hitting just below 400. Ronald Acuna Jr. has been white hot recently. Josh Johnson has picked things up. Ozzy Albies doing a great job of getting on base. Think Barcakis has been doing great as well. It seems like Camargo is getting out of his rough start. And you've got Charlie Culberson, a guy who's able to pinch hit and give this team some home runs and some good average as well. I certainly think that runs are going to be a plenty in this game. But I do think that Robbie Ray... 
who does a good job of being able to limit the opponent's batting average, is going to be able to do enough in this game to hand it to a bullpen that's been shaky at best. Max Freed actually has not given up an earned run so far this year, but I have a feeling that that is certainly going to change. I just am not really buying into him. He's not a guy that necessarily has wipeout stuff. He's got nine strikeouts on the year heading into this game, and I think that the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be able to hit him and hit him hard in a little bit more of a hitter's ballpark. You've got guys like Ahmad at the bottom of the lineup that are also able to hit. I just think that you've got so many weapons for the Diamondbacks that they're going to get into a Braves bullpen that is also very leaky. I think runs are going to be a plenty, and I think that the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to get freed out of the game before the Braves get Robbie Ray out of the game themselves. So for that reason, I'm going to take the plus price here with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I noticed that steam was coming in on the Atlanta Braves before doing this podcast, so currently in wait-and-see mode there, and I'm also going to be on this game over, currently waiting to see if I can get a little bit more favorable juice there. 959-960 on the bang rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals are in Milwaukee to face off against the Brewers. Brandon Woodruff goes for the Brewers. Meanwhile, Jack Flaherty for the St. Louis Cardinals. Total on this game is 9 and is shaded over. The 9 is between minus 110 and minus 115 on the over. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you like the Milwaukee Brewers, you're laying anywhere between minus 118 and minus 120. Want to take a shot on the Cardinals? That is between plus 108 and plus 110. The Brewers so far this year have been a very good bet on team. They're coming off winning 2 of 3 on the road against the LA Dodgers and the whole outfield of the Milwaukee Brewers has been doing a sensational job of being able to hit. Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, and Lorenzo Cain have all been getting the job done. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Brewers. They've got a couple bats that start off the year slow, but they seem to be picking it up. Travis Shaw has been hitting below 200 this year. That's been a little bit of a woe for this team. Eric Thames hasn't necessarily been the Eric Thames of old, but I like that Orlando Arcia was able to hit a couple home runs in that series against the Dodgers. Mike Moustakis, though he's not really hitting for average, he's been able to hit for some power. Yasmani Grandal has really been stepping up for this team as well. And then when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, they've been doing a good job of being able to hit for average. They've been doing a great job of being able to hit for power, but not necessarily average. In the first inning yesterday, you saw Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung be able to hit home runs, but Paul Goldschmidt right now hitting below 230 himself. Marcelo Zuna seems to be picking things up, but Yadier Molina has not been aiming for a very good average. Dexter Fowler has not been able to get out of his own way. Matt Carpenter still has some kinks in his swing, and Colton Wong has not been picking up things himself. So I am going to be on the under in this game, and I have already locked this one in. I do think that Woodruff, a guy that's been... A little bit more of a reliever and more of a short starter throughout his career. Seems to be getting more into a groove as a full-time starter, so I do like to see that. And with Jack Flaherty, we've seen the best of him, and we've seen the worst of him so far this year. I think we're going to get an average Jack Flaherty. Gives the team six innings, gives up something like two or three runs, and then hands it to a bullpen that's going to give up another one or two. So I think that the Brewers win a little bit of a lower scoring game in this one. So for that reason, I'm going to be on the Brewers in this spot in wait and see mode on that price, but have already locked in that under. 961-962 on the betting rotation. The Colorado Rockies are in San Diego to face off against the Padres. Nick Margavicious goes for the San Diego Padres. I hope I finally said that last name correctly. Meanwhile, for the Colorado Rockies, this one's a slam dunk. John Gray goes for them. The total on this game is 7, and it is shaded way over. The over is minus 120. The under is even juice. If you like the Colorado Rockies, you're going to get anywhere between plus 116 and plus 122. If you want to lay it with the Padres, anywhere between minus 130 
anywhere between minus 126 and minus 132. This is a spot where I take a look at the San Diego Padres, and I'm going to lock in the San Diego Padres at that minus 126. I think that that's a favorable price, and we are seeing a little bit of money starting to roll in on the San Diego Padres as well. I like the start that Mergavicious and the entire Rocky and the entire young staff of the San Diego Padres has gotten off to. Margavicious currently has a 169 ERA. He's been doing a very good job of limiting a little bit of everything. His whip is a .63. He has been absolutely sensational. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to go out there and he's going to give you a whole bunch of strikeouts or anything like that. In 16 innings, he's just had 12 strikeouts, but only one walk, and opponents are hitting 161 against him, and he's obviously in a very hitter-friendly ballpark out there in San Diego. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. They've gotten a decent start so far this year from John Gray. He's been a little bit of a tough luck loser at 0-3, 419 ERA. He hasn't been walking too many guys, but with the San Diego Padres, I do like the way that their offense is rounding into form. Fernando Tatis Jr. has four home runs so far this year. You gotta like the fact that Manny Machado's been picking it up with the bat. Hunter Renfro has went deep four times already so far this year. Manuel Margot has picked it up with the bat. Fanmiel Reyes, as we talked to our man David Adler of StatCast a couple days ago, he's just been the victim of bad luck. He seems to be getting it going. And then Ian Kinsler, you got to think at some point, is going to be able to get things started himself. And Will Myers hitting nearly 300 as well. Then you take a look at the other side for the Colorado Rockies. It was encouraging that Nolan Arenado was able to hit his first home run of the year on Sunday against the San Francisco Giants, but they don't have a whole lot of guys that are hitting for power that are hitting for average or for power. David Dahl has been doing a decent job of being able to get on base, but it is a big woe for this team that Daniel Murphy currently is not in the lineup. He is currently on the 10-day injured list along with Chris Iannetta, so that's leading to a lot of mismatch of players. Tapia, whenever he's out there in the outfield, not giving this team a lot of average. He's hitting below 200. He's hitting below 220. At the top of the lineup, Charlie Blackman has not been doing a great job of being able to get on base. Garrett Hampson hitting below 200. Mark Reynolds, Ian Desmond both hitting below 200 as well. Things just not going well for this lineup in general. And I do think the San Diego Padres are going to be able to get to John Gray. And I think that he's going to be the victim of giving up quite a few runs in this spot. I do think that the Padres are going to give up a runner to themselves. So I do look at this total over. Currently in wait and see mode just because the juice on the 7 is just Way too high for me to take. I'd rather take a seven and a half at even juice rather than lay minus one twenty on over seven. So currently in wait and see mode there, but I've already locked in the San Diego Padres. I should be able to get the win in this spot. 963-964 on the betting rotation. We've got the Cincinnati Reds in Los Angeles to face off against the Dodgers. Kenta Maeda goes for the Dodgers. Tyler Molly goes for the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds are a pretty big underdog in this spot. You can get anywhere between plus 145 and plus 151 on them. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Dodgers, anywhere between minus 160 and minus 162. Total in this game is 8.5 and, and shaded under. Under is between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is between even juice and minus 105. The Dodgers have been in a really rough stretch the past couple of games as they were able to break that six-game losing streak against the Milwaukee Brewers on Sunday. I do think that Kenta Maeda is a very decent pitcher, but I have some question marks with the LA Dodgers bullpen. You've got like Yimi Garcia coming in. He's just throwing lighter fluid on games. It's just not very good. Some of these guys are coming in like a Caleb Ferguson I like, but then there are other guys in this Dodgers bullpen that you just tear your hair out 
whenever they come into games. And Kendra Maeda, he's a good pitcher, but he typically doesn't go past six innings. So this is a spot where I do have to take a look at Tyler Molly and the Cincinnati Reds, who have actually won the better bullpens out there in the big leagues. So I am going to take a plus price here with the Cincinnati Reds, and I'm going to take a look at the total under. I do think that Kenta Maeda is going to be able to deliver a good, solid outing in this one, and we know that the Cincinnati Reds as a team not hitting very well going into Monday's action. They were hitting as a collective 210. Meanwhile, the Dodgers had really been generating a lot of power. But with that said, their team ERA was a 471 to the Cincinnati Reds 321. And I do think that the Reds are going to do a very good job of being able to pitch to the LA Dodgers. With the Dodgers, you've got a couple guys that are doing just a sensational job. Cody Bellinger came into Monday with nine home runs hitting over 420, but some of the other guys seem to be cooling down a little bit more. Austin Barnes, after a hot start, seem to be coming back to earth a little bit. A.J. Pollock has been in a little bit of a rough patch. Max Muncy and Kike Hernandez are doing a great job. Both those guys entered Monday with four home runs. And Jock Peterson generating a lot of power with six home runs himself, not necessarily hitting for the best of average. And when you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds, they do seem to be picking it up a little bit with that. Yasiel Puig on Sunday had his first home run of the year. Matt Kemp is upping his average a little bit more, though it's still not very good. you got to have some questions with Joey Votto, as he was not in the lineup yesterday, which I thought that that was very intriguing, but you do still have Eugenio Suarez out there as well. He's able to generate some power, so this is a game that I certainly do see going under with all those factors, but I am going to be on the Cincinnati Reds in this spot. I just feel like it's a little bit too much of a plus price, and I do not trust the Dodgers pitching and bullpen at this point, so for that reason... I'm going to be playing the total under, and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Cincinnati Reds. I'm currently in wait and see mode to see what price I'm going to be able to get with the Cincinnati Reds and trying to see if I can get a little bit more favorable juice on that under. Next up, we go to one of the most classic rivalries out there in sports. 965-966 on the betting rotation. The Yankees play host to the Red Sox. Chris Sale on the bump for the Red Sox. James Paxson going for the New York Yankees. You're taking a look across the board, and it's a pick'em game. Minus 105 on the Yankees, minus 105 on the Red Sox. Shoals 8.5, and this is shaded under. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even juice and minus 105. And I have absolutely no idea why anyone would be backing Chris Sale at this point. His velocity is way down from last year. I know that he had a quality start when he faced off against, I believe, the Oakland A's in his second start of the year, but past that, he just hasn't looked like his old Chris Sale self. If you've been fading him so far this year, you've been making a whole lot of money. And the bats in general for the Boston Red Sox just have not gotten things going. Xander Bogarts in the last couple games against the Baltimore Orioles has looked pretty good. Mitch Moreland for the year has five home runs, 12 RBI. J.D. Martinez doing a decent job of being able to get on base, but Mookie Betts is in a little bit of a slump this year. Jackie Bradley Jr. has not gotten the job done. Nunez out there in the infield hasn't necessarily been doing a great job for them. Andrew Benatendi is right now day-to-day. Nunez, by the way, day-to-day himself. Brock Holt is on the 10-day injured list as well. There's just a lot of things that are not going well for this team. And for the Yankees, You've got so many players that are injured right now. Gary Sanchez on the 10-day injured list. John Carlos Stanton on the 10-day injured list. Troy Tulowitzki, Dylan Patanzas, Aaron Hicks. The list goes on and on. But with that said, they're still finding a way to be able to generate some offense as so far on the year, they've got 26 home runs. 
You've still got Luke Voigt, who's able to generate some power, not necessarily so much on average. DJ LeMahieu and Clint Frazier have been doing a good job of being able to get on base. Got like the way that Miguel Andujar, Gleyber Torres, and Aaron Judge are able to hit in the middle of the lineup as well. It's got a lot of redeeming qualities there. And I just think that you've got the, by far, better starter out there in James Paxson. I think that in general, the Yankees have a better bullpen, which I think is going to allow them to be able to win this game. I am all aboard the Yankees in this spot. I've already locked this one in, and I've already locked in the under. I think that it's going to be a struggle for either team to be able to get to four runs because I do think that Sale, even though his velocity has dipped, I do think that he's going to be able to give them a solid outing. I think that this is more of a spot where you look at Sale going five or six innings, giving up two or three runs, and then the bullpen from there gives up a run or two. I think the Yankees are going to be able to get a very solid outing from James Paxson. I feel like he's being a little bit undervalued, especially with the Yankees at home in this spot. So I've already locked in both these plays. Yankees and the unders are what we're going with. 967, 968 on the bank rotation. It is the Baltimore Orioles in Tampa Bay to face off against the Hot Shell Rays. Tyler Glasnow goes for the Tampa Bay Rays. Dylan Bundy for the Baltimore Orioles. The total on this game is 8 and it is shaded under. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110 if you want to take a shot on the Baltimore Orioles. Getting anywhere between plus 215 and plus 220 if you like the raise. You're laying anywhere between minus 250 and minus 260. I have bet the Baltimore Orioles three out of the last four days. And we're doing it again, people. Four out of the last five days, I am on the Baltimore Orioles. I feel like such a schmuck right now. I have no idea why, after saying so many bad things about the Baltimore Orioles, I'm betting them the four of the last five days, but here we are, and right now for the year, when I've bet on the Baltimore Orioles, they're 2-1, and one, and all three of the games I bet on them, they were a plus $2 greater underdog. I hate to say it, but there's value here with the Baltimore Orioles. They're actually hitting pretty well. Chris Davis, by some act of God, hit a home run yesterday. I don't know how and I don't know why. Dylan Bundy leaves a lot to be desired. He's 0-1 with an 8.76 ERA. The Tampa Bay Rays have been doing a decent job of hitting, especially with, Tyler, with Austin Meadows at the top of the lineup. He's got six home runs, 17 RBI. He's hitting above 350. I like the way that G-Man Choi is able to deliver some power out there in the middle of the lineup. Kevin Kiermeyer has been picking up with the bat, hitting just below 300. He's been able to generate some pop. Willie Adamas at the bottom of the lineup doing a good job of being able to get on base. Brandon Lowe hitting above 300. And Yandy Diaz is able to provide some power as well. But with the Baltimore Orioles, I really like the way Trey Boomo Mancini's been batting. 343 average, 6 home runs, 12 RBI. We saw it in their game yesterday against the Boston Red Sox. They were tearing the cover off the ball. Jonathan VR hitting 300 so far. Dwight Smith Jr. is hitting 270. He's been driving in some runs. He had four RBI in that game yesterday. Chris Davis has somehow, some way found it with the bat. And now all of a sudden their DH spot with Renato Nunes has been actually pretty good. He's hitting 293, two home runs, 10 RBI. I actually like the way that the Baltimore Orioles are trending right now. Their bullpen leaves something to be desired, but they've been pitching a lot better recently as well. So even if Dylan Bundy goes all Dylan Bundy on us, which he's had some good starts, he's had some poor starts. I think that this might be a bad one, but even if he does, there's still some redeeming qualities with the bullpen 
And I am betting on Dylan Bunny giving up some runs. So for that reason, I'm on this total over and I've locked it in. But I am going to be going with the Baltimore Orioles once again. And I've already locked in the massive plus price. I feel like a moron. When they lose by a count of like 7 to nothing. you guys can laugh at me all you want. But we are on the Orioles and we are on the over. Begrudgingly. 969, 970 on the betting rotation. It is the Toronto Blue Jays in the Twin Cities to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Kyle Gibson goes for the Twins. Aaron Sanchez for the Toronto Blue Jays. The total on this game is 8.5 and and it is shaded under. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105 across the board. If you want to take a shot on the Toronto Blue Jays, you're going to get a plus price anywhere between plus 130 and plus 135. You want to lay it here with the Twins. You're going to be laying anywhere between minus 140 and minus 145. I do think that Kyle Gibson is a little bit of an undervalued pitcher. He had a little bit of a rough start to the year, but ever since then, he's really been picking things up. He's been a little bit of a heat check guy. Meanwhile, I actually really love the way that Aron Sanchez has been pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays. 1-1 one one so far this year, 169 ERA. Now, he has had to evade a little bit of trouble. His whip is right around 138, so he's been giving out a couple too many free passes, but he does a good job of being able to get some strikeouts. He's got 16 strikeouts and 16 innings so far this year, and I noticed it last year as well. He did a very good job of being able to just be able to get out of bad situations in general. He is a guy that throughout his career has had a little bit of an issue with walks, but it is not as if the Minnesota Twins lineup necessarily scares you. Jorge Polanco doing a very good job of being able to hit for this team. He's hitting just below 400 so far. Max Kepler has been able to give this team a trio of home runs at the top of the lineup. Eddie Rosario, three home runs at 11 RBI. But there is some inconsistency with this Minnesota Twins lineup in general. You've got guys like Cave that are not really picking up with the bat. He's only a on and off player, but he just has not impressed me. Jonathan Scope had a couple good games so far this year, but he's been inconsistent. CJ Crone has not been doing a good job of being able to rake. Now, I do really like what they're getting out of the catcher spot as Mitch Garver going into this game is hitting above 400. He's got three home runs. He's been sensational, but Nelson Cruz hasn't necessarily been giving this team the power that he has in the past. Now, he is doing a very good job of being able to get on base, but the power isn't there. With the Toronto Blue Jays, Freddie Galvis doing a tremendous job for this team. He's hitting above 300. Five home runs at 11 RBI heading into Monday's action, so he's been doing a terrific job there. McKinney out there in the outfield has been picking up with the bat as well. Randall Gritchick has not been able to hit for a lot of average, but Justin Spoke has been picking things up, and he's been doing a good job of being able to draw his walks. Even though heading into Monday, he was hitting just 225. He had an on-base percentage right around 400. That's good. At the bottom of the lineup, you've got guys like Brandon Drury that aren't doing a good job of being able to get on base, so I certainly think that both these pitchers are going to be able to get a lot of outs. So for that reason, I am on this under, and I am currently in wait and see mode to see if I can get a little bit more favorable juice. But I do think that the Blue Jays are going to be able to do a good job of being able to hold down the fort against the Minnesota Twins. And I think that Gibson gives up maybe a long ball or two. I'm going to be on the Blue Jays and have already locked in that plus price, and I am in wait and see mode on this under. This game is currently off the board, but we do know who the starting pitchers are going to be in 971-972. Matt Harvey goes for the LA Angels as they are on the road to face off against the Texas Rangers as Mike Miner going to be taking the bump there. Like I said, I think that a big reason why this game is off the board is because they don't know whether or not Mike Trout is going to be in the game. I feel like those questions were answered when he came out and was in the DH spot yesterday, but 
I don't know why else this game would be off the board, but you know what? With the LA Angels putting up the performance that they did against the Texas Rangers yesterday, I'm going to be probably taking a look at the Angels once again in this game. And thanks to our good buddy Shelby Miller, the Texas Rangers bullpen got taxed because he winds up giving up three runs in the first inning. And with the Angels in general, you're noticing some of these guys picking it up with the bat. Mike Trout is hitting right around 400 for this team. Brandon Goodwin has been doing a tremendous job of being able to generate a little bit of power. He had another home run yesterday. He's hitting above 300. You've got some bats out there that are just not getting the job done. Tommy LaStella, Zach Cozart, both hitting below 200. Smith at the catcher spot hitting below 200. And then you've got Peter Borges. That is just a situation onto its own. And Dalton Simmons, Cole Calhoun, the list goes on and on. So probably going to take a look at it under because Mike Miner this year has actually been pretty good. And then with Matt Harvey, he's been a little bit hit or miss. Ever since coming over to the LA Angels, he hasn't necessarily been getting the job done. But I do feel like this could be a spot in which he could excel because I feel like he's going to be able to get some strikeouts with the Texas Rangers, having so many guys that swing for the fences. I know that Hunter Pence has been doing a very good job of being able to get on base for this team. Sinchu Chu, always a very reliable guy in being able to get on base, and Elvis Andrews as well, but then you've got guys like Joey Gallo, Noah Mazzara. There are a bunch of guys on this roster that they just are feast or famine. Delino D. Shields Jr., you don't know if he's ever going to get on base for this team. And then Rudinando Dor, currently on the 10-day injured list as well. Obviously, that's a little bit of a woe for this team. And the LA Angels enter into this game the number one team in all of baseball in regards to bullpen ERA. So even if Matt Harvey has a rough outing where he gives up three or four runs, your Angels ticket not necessarily going to be doomed. So I'm probably going to be taking a look at an under, and I'm probably going to be taking a look at the LA Angels. But obviously, I need numbers for these plays to be bettable. So check back on my Twitter page at junior underscore 81 for plays in the morning on that. We move on now to 973-974 on the bank rotation. The Kansas City Royals are in the Windy City to face off against the Chicago White Sox as it is the Battle of the Lopez's as Renato Lopez goes for the Chicago White Sox and Jorge Lopez goes for the Kansas City Royals as the total on this game is 9 and the 9 is shaded a little bit over. If you like the over, that is between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you want to take a shot on the White Sox, you're going to be getting right around even money depending on where you look. The White Sox, anywhere between a minus 105 and minus 107 favorite. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, anywhere between minus 103 and minus 105 themselves. So very much a pick'em game. And with this game being a pick'em game and myself having a much higher value on the Chicago White Sox offense than I do the Kansas City Royals. I'm actually going to be going run line, and I've already locked this one in. I am on the run line of the Chicago White Sox, and I was able to get plus 190 on it at William Hill. I'm currently seeing it at plus 185. Just tremendous value if you think that the White Sox are going to be able to win this game by multiple runs like I do. And the reason why I think the White Sox are going to be able to win this game by multiple runs is because... They've got much more power than the Kansas City Royals. So far for the year, the Royals have been getting some terrific performance from Alex Gordon. Going into Monday's action, he was hitting 363 home runs, 13 RBI. And then Jorge Soler hit four home runs as well. But Lucas Duda, despite the fact that he had a home run on Sunday against the Cleveland Indians, not getting the job done at the bottom of the lineup. Hunter Dozier has not necessarily been the modicum of consistency with regards to his bat. 
He's been picking it up as of late, but I still have my questions with Dozier. Ryan O'Hearn barely hitting above two bills. Lucas Duda, Chris Owings, Martin Maldonado. All those guys are hitting 205 or worse right now. It's pretty stunning with Merrifield and Montessi doing a good job of being able to get on base. But with the White Sox, got like the way that Yoan Mancata is raking. He's hitting above 300. He's got some good pop in the bat. Jose Abreu is barely hitting above 200, but you know that he's got some power. Got to think that Yonder Alonso is going to pick things up. Eloy Jimenez hitting just below 300. Tim Anderson hitting above 400 himself. And you got to think at some point, Daniel Polk is going to be able to pick it up along with Adam Engel. Both these guys have really been struggling with the bats, but what I will say is that at the top of the lineup as well for the Chicago White Sox, they've been getting some very good performance from Lurie Garcia. He came into Monday's action hitting just above 300. he has been doing a good job of being able to provide some speed and being able to get on base. And then with the White Sox, I do have a little bit more faith in their Lopez rather than Jorge Lopez. I know that Jorge enters into this game with a 371 ERA, but I just take a look at his performances last year and This is a gentleman that does not have very good plus stuff. He has so far this year 13 strikeouts in 17 innings. He's issued six walks in 17 innings. He's just not a guy that you can rely upon. And then both these bullpens, as we know, are gas cans. I would argue that the bigger gas can bullpen of the two is the Kansas City Royals, especially with a closer of Brad Boxberger. Oh my gosh, this guy sucks. He has been blowing games left, right, and sideways the past two years. It is absolutely incredible. And then with Ronaldo Lopez, he's been having a really rough year. He's got 12 walks and 13.1 innings. you got to think that he's going to be giving out some free passes. But I did see a little bit of potential with him last year. Last year, his ERA was below four. He obviously had the issues with the walks, but he wasn't giving up as much hard contact. And let's face it, guaranteed rate field. It's not necessarily a hitter's ballpark. It's not necessarily a great pitcher's ballpark either. It's sort of one of those in-between ones that I do think that he's going to be able to limit the hard contact in this spot, and I think that he's going to get some of the kinks figured out with his pitching. I certainly think that runs are going to be a plenty in this game, so I've already locked in the over, but I'm on the White Sox run line because I do think that their lineup is really going to rake Jorge Lopez, and they're going to get into a really bad Royals bullpen. We move on now to 975, 976 on the regular rotation. It is the Houston Astros on the road facing off against the Oakland A's. Marco Estrada goes for the Oakland A's. Colin McHugh on the bump for the Houston Astros. If you like the Astros, they are anywhere between a minus 142 and minus 147 favorite. Meanwhile, if you want to take a shot here with the swinging Oakland A's, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 137. Total on this game is 8.5 and, and it is shaded under. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even money and minus 105. This is a spot where I do have to take a look at the under. I do like the way that Mikio has been pitching so far this year. I know that he's been sort of in the starting lineup and in the bullpen, but I like the way that he's gotten out this year. He's currently got a 265 ERA. He did a tremendous job of being able to get strikeouts out of the bullpen last year, and he's really translated it into the starting lineup this year. 22 strikeouts in 17 innings. He's got five walks in 17 innings, which obviously leaves a little bit of something to be desired, but at the same time, he's been pretty good, and he's backed up by a Houston Astros bullpen that has been nails recently. And with the Houston Astros, their lineup in general has just been top to bottom very good recently. Jose Altuve really hitting for the team. Seven home runs, 13 RBI. Michael Brantley has gotten his average near 300. Alex Bregman, after a slow start to the year, he's picked it up. Carlos Correa is really hitting as well. 
You're noticing that Tony Kemp is also picking it up. He's back over two bills in regards to his average. Yuri Gurriel hitting just below 300 as well. Other than Stassi, just about everyone for the Houston Astros has been hitting. And then with the Oakland A's, you've got Chris Davis. Chris with a K Davis, I should say. Doing a great job of being able to provide power. He's got 10 home runs so far this year. He's been absolutely sensational in that regard. Robbie Grossman at the top of the lineup has been able to get on base. Matt Chapman providing a little bit of everything along with Marcus Simeons. But Kendrys Morales and Steven Piscotty not necessarily hitting for average along with Jerix and Profar. Loreno has been picking it up with a bat, but he's still sometimes a little bit hit or miss. And I do think that the Astros are really going to be able to tame these Oakland A's bats. And something else we noticed with Oakland is that it is very much an over ballpark during the day, and it very much is a under ballpark during the night. I believe that it's like due to the marine temperatures or something like that. I am not a meteorologist. I am a handicapper. I got a C- in college in weather and climate, so I don't necessarily know what it's called. It's marine something, but it leads to the ball just not flying out the way that it typically does during the day, so that's why I am going to play this total under. I think that the Astros are going to be able to limit the hard contact, and I think that they're going to be able to drive in some runs themselves, and I have locked in both these plays. I am on the Astros and the under in this game. 977, 978 on the betting rotation. We've got Bieber Fever out there in Seattle as the Mariners play host the Cleveland Indians. Shane Bieber goes for the Cleveland Indians. Mike Leak for the Seattle Mariners. The total on this game is 8, and it is shaded a little bit to the over. The over is between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. With regards to the side, this is moving just all over the place. Right now, we are noticing the Cleveland Indians anywhere between even money and a favorite of minus 110. Meanwhile, if you like the Seattle Mariners, you're going to be anywhere between even money to laying right around minus 110 as well. This is a spot where you have to decide... Do you think that this game is going to be lower scoring or is this game going to be higher scoring? I think that the Seattle Mariners bats went out and I was able to find a run line price of the Seattle Mariners on this game because the run line is decided by the favorite. Typically, whenever you see it being minus 105 on both sides, they will by default make the favorite the home team, which is the Seattle Mariners, which means that you're going to be able to get minus run and a half, which means that you're going to get a very good plus price. I noticed that over at a couple shops out there in Vegas, and I was able to get a Mariners plus price that was really, really juicy that I just could not pass up. I'm on the Mariners run line at plus 180. I do think that their bats went out. They've just got so much power on this entire lineup, and going into Monday... They had gotten a home run in each of their first 18 games of the year. That is a record out there in the majors. Edwin Encarnacion is providing power. Jay Bruce heading into Monday at seven home runs. Daniel Vogelbach has been the best story out there in the bigs. Tim Beckham has been raking. Mitch Hanniger is picking it up with the bag. Malik Smith is able to do a good job of being able to get on base. Omar Navarez providing something out there at the catcher spot. The list goes on and on and on. And with the Cleveland Indians, they actually seem to be finding their bats. In two occasions in the past eight days, they have scored eight runs or more, which is a little bit of redeeming quality. Leonis Martin on Sunday was able to hit his third home run of the year. He's hitting right in the neighborhood of 270 at the time of this broadcast. He's been picking it up with the bat. You got to think that Carlos Gonzalez being back in the lineup is also going to help things out for them a little bit. But you got guys like Jose and Hanley Ramirez. They're both hitting below 200 so far this year. They're leaving a lot to be desired. Brad Miller at the 
second base spot, has been picking it up with his bat, but you've got so many other guys that are not getting the job done. And Jay Bieber is not a guy that's really going to have plus stuff. He's not going to make guys swing and miss too much. He relies on being able to keep the ball in the ballpark. And I feel like Mike Leak is a little bit the same way. I think that both these pitchers get touched up. I know that the Cleveland Indians have a good bullpen, but it's been used quite heavily in the past couple days as well. So they're going to be really on fumes as well. So for that reason, I'm doing a little bit of a correlated play and doing a little bit of a math play as well. I am going to be taking the Mariners on the run line at that massive plus price. I've already locked that in, and I've already locked in the over at minus 110 as well. This is one of those games where, like I said, if you like the under, you probably want to take the Indians, and you want to probably try to get the best price possible on the Indians. I don't think that they'd be able to win it by multiple runs, but if you think the the Mariners are going to win and you think it's going to be a higher scoring game, they're probably going to win by multiple runs, and that's why I'm taking that plus price on the run line. So that is a little bit of an explanation there, and that is my crazy math formula on trying to mitigate juice and trying to be able to make some money. So hopefully you enjoyed that as we move on to the final game on the betting rotation, 979-980. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates in Detroit to face off against the Tigers. Matthew Boyd goes on the mound for the Detroit Tigers. Joe Musgrove for the Pittsburgh Pirates. If you like the Pirates, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Meanwhile, if you want to take a shot on the Tigers, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. So in this game is 8, and it is shaded under. The under is minus 115, and I'm seeing a one-shot minus 120. The over is anywhere between even juice and minus 105. And this is a spot where I do have to take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I do think that it's going to be a very low-scoring game. With the Pirates, Josh Bell has been doing a great job at the middle of the lineup. He's got three dingers so far this year. He's hitting above 300, but there's not a whole lot else that you can really say about the power of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Sterling Marte is hitting 211. Francisco Cervelli hitting below 200. John O'Kung has been absolutely atrocious. Their infield has been a little bit banged up. I do like the fact that Colin Moran is hitting above 300. He's been a little bit of a plus for this team hitting 308 so far this year, so that's good. And Adam Frazier at the top of the lineup has been doing a great job with his on-base percentage right around 377. Meanwhile, with the Detroit Tigers, they've got a lot of guys that are banged up. Nick Cassianos is day-to-day. You want to check in on his status along with Nico Goodrum and Josh Harrison. With Jody Mercer on the 10-day injured list as well, you're just left with a bunch of guys that... Just don't hit very well. Miguel Cabrera, you can tell, is still rehabbing from his injury. He seems to be picking it up a little bit with the bat, but he's not the Miguel Cabrera of old. He's hitting 259 for the year. Christian Stewart is hitting below 200. Hicks at the first base spot is hitting below 200. You just take a look at the lineup they trotted out there against the Minnesota Twins on Sunday. You had three guys that were hitting above 210 in the lineup. Just really hard to trust those bats. And Matthew Boyd has been doing a terrific job of pitching so far this year as well. This is a gentleman that enters into this game pitching much better than his 1-1 record would indicate. In his three starts, he's got 29 strikeouts, a 260 ERA. And the Detroit Tigers bullpen in general has been great. And then you take a look at Joe Musgrove. He certainly should be better than his 1-1 record. He has a 0.0 ERA, and yet he's got a loss to his credit. That is just absolutely unreal right there. And the Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen, it's not great, but at the same time, it's been getting the job done. We saw Velasquez go in and get a two-inning save against the Washington Nationals a couple days ago. And I think with the Detroit Bats being so bad and banged up at this point, the value is on the Pittsburgh Pirates. I am going to be backing the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I'm on this total under, and I have locked in both these plays. 
And that will do it for another tremendous edition of MLB Overtime Betting. I'd like to give a big thanks to Michael Bauman of The Ringer for joining me in the second segment. Very dynamite spot there. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at unit underscore 81. And let's make today a tremendous, profitable, and fun one. And I'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow, as I will every day throughout the baseball season in which there are bettable games. Thank you so much for tuning in.